Welcome to Fictionality Podcast 4. I'm John Ferguson. And I'm Scott Heron. We're coming to you from fictionality.co.uk. And we're going to talk to you today about, you know, how to make films, because that's what we do here. Uh, yep. Um, first up, we're going to just give a, a brief update of our uh, expenses. And we're pleased to report they haven't gone up at all. Hooray! Yay! We're, uh, we're fairly certain that the expenses are not going to go up dramatically uh, for the rest of the whole project, because we've kind of... Try to think ahead. I mean, obviously, things might happen. We don't know. But by and large, we're hoping that it's going to be relatively stable. So even though it's up to, oh, it's like a thousand, it's over a thousand now, but um, it should hopefully not go too much beyond that. So hopefully all you amateurs out there aren't going to be freaked out by our, our budget. Mm. Um, we've uh, working a little bit more on the music. Um, we've been taking a slightly odd approach, which is ordinarily, really, you should do all the filming first, all the production stuff. And then, once you've done all that, you write the music to complement that. Um, now, this is largely because I'm writing the music, and I'm not a particularly adept composer. Um, we decided we would write the music first, and come up with the best possible music we could, and then shoot the film to suit the music. <laughs> um, it's a really, really dirty trick, and we hope it works out well for us. <laughs> um, but along that line, I don't think we've really said before, but... Uh, I wrote um, a dinkity little tune on guitar with uh, me singing very poorly. Um, I wasn't that bad. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> um, but the the final version is supposed to be a piano arrangement. And uh, this is where we were, we were talking about this, whether this was really fair or not. Um, I am completely a self-taught guitarist. My background in being taught music is minimal at best. So I really am a true amateur. Um but because I kinda I kinda wanted a piano arrangement, we have decided to bring in a, a good friend of mine called Jennifer McRitchie um to do the piano arrangement. Now, this is where we were arguing this is maybe a little bit unfair. Although Jen is not actually a professional pianist, she might as well be because she's that good. So <laughs> um asking her to do it is maybe sliding a wee bit off of her amateur status. So we're not we're not really sure about that. It's it's a friend of ours and we think it's is definitely fine to be, you know, asking friends. And certainly if you have friends that are good at stuff, you know, don't you shouldn't hesitate to at least ask them whether or not they'll be willing to do it. But um, whether or not it's entirely fair that we're doing this as amateurs and we're going to have, you know, a very, very talented uh, musician helping us is whether or not it's fair or not. But anyway, that's the case. Is, uh, Jane's going to help with it. I think, I think uh, though, in, in, in response to that, that you don't need to have kind of the sort of professional level uh, musician there you can still do it without it's just that um we have the the ability to so why not yeah we, we we've actually taken there was another thing which we originally we weren't even going to write the music we decided at one point not for that long because i really i really wanted the credit of writing the music but we had decided at one point <laughs> that we would use creative commons music and there's so much of that out there um so you know do it do um there's a bunch of sites we could we could write you to there's gemendo there's magnitude there's just so many. Just do a search for Creative Commons music. You'll find so much stuff out there. And some of it is really good. I think one of my... one of the, Maybe my problems with Creative Commons music is a lot of it tends to be produced on computers. And, uh, well, I mean, I'm in a band called NGO, and we we produce a lot of music on computers, but we record it with computers is what I mean. We don't actually produce it all within the computer. Unfortunately, most Creative Commons music does seem to all come from within computers, 
And as a result of that, you get a lot of techno, a lot of, you know, a lot of ambient music coming through. Some of that works really well for films, so that's great. It's not the kind of thing we're going for, that we wanted something that sounded reverbial and acoustic and, uh, well, piano ultimately. Um, there is also a lot of really good uh, recordings of classical music as well, if you want to do that. I, we, um, the, the other film I was involved in a year ago, um, the hell was that called? Laura Mipson. Uh, we used all Creative Commons music in that, and we found a really good recording of um, somebody playing one of Bach's uh, cello suites, and that worked out really great for us. Um, but always make sure you check the license for exactly how you're allowed to use the music, because some of them won't let you use it commercially and things like that, so always make sure you check the license. Uh, but anyway, that's one way around it if you have no musical talents, basically. Um, but we've also got Jen doing that. Um, we've also asked another friend of ours, uh, Christy, what's Christy's last name? McKendry, Christy McKendry. Christy, Christy McKendry. That's a K-R-I. That's actually not, a, not little, Christy. That's a little bit of a tongue twister, isn't it, Christy McKendry? Anyway. It is a bit. Um, uh, who is uh, another friend of hers who's a very uh, talented singer. Uh, she's, she's still amateur, she's not... She uh, is amateur, but she is classically trained. I yeah, believe. she is taking... Well, she was until recently taking singing lessons and yeah. and stuff, but she, she's been singing for a while. Mm-hmm. And again, that's, that's just because... Um, I can't really sing what I've written, so we're going to ask Christy to do that. Um, so that's where things like the moment, uh, none of that's really going to be uh, happening for a while, though I don't think we'll put the recording off for a little bit until we've got the scripts uh, more sorted. Um, but anyway, that's the music update. We're very, very pleased at how that's going. That we, we're um, Because Jen is such a good uh, pianist um, and also a very talented musician overall, um, we're pre- I'm fairly certain we're going to get a really good arrangement and an amazing recording from Jen. Christie's an amazing singer, and I'm sure we're going to get an amazing recording from her as well. So we're really, really hopeful of the music all of a sudden. Um, and as as amateur filmmakers out there, do not underplay the importance of music. Um, see, the next time you watch any any film that you love, pick out a film that you love, and try and ignore everything that's going on in terms of sound except the music. Just just try it and see how much music is affecting your emotive response to the film. It's, it's one of those things, I don't think a lot of people really realise just how much of the film comes through from the music. Um, and as I say, I'm not trying to put you off because there's so much Creative Commons music that you can find that will you know you can use to these effects. But it's something that you really need to um, kind of think about. I think if you if you make a film and it's just completely you know without music, that's there's only a certain types of film that can really pull that off. Um, People don't like that. They get bored. They, um, people actually don't want to have to really think too much about what their emotive response should be. I mean, you don't want to patronise the audience, but at the same time, you don't want to leave it entirely up to them. It's one of the, if you want to go in for that whole like cinema verity thing, fair enough. That's quite hard to pull off as well, though. But, you know, anything think about it. Um, what was the other stuff? We got interviewed. Yeah, um, we had an interview from a guy called Paul Kajeji. Yeah, very nice guy um, who's running... A website called the Process Diary, which is semi similar to ours. Um, Process Diary is well. First, Paul Kajegi's uh, he's in Australia, he's in Sydney, um, and he's a video editor and motion graphics designer, a professional video editor and motion graphics designer. He's a very talented guy, um, and he's currently in his spare time working on a short science fiction anime. Uh, I don't know if it's actually entitled Character Development, but that's that's what he seems to be calling it at the moment. I think that's the part of his blog that's currently designing his characters and just the, and stuff at the moment. But yeah, and I'm not quite sure what it's actually called. But yeah, but it sounds it's really interesting. There's um, one of his podcasts like goes through roughly what the story will be, and it sounds very uh, 
very mm. grand scale, to be honest. It sounds very interesting. Yeah, it sounds like a very, very cool project that he's yeah. doing. I'm actually really interested to see how the results of this pan out. But anyway, um, his website is um, showing the steps that he's taking to make um, this uh, this short anime. I think it's, it's actually a series, isn't it? He's trying to make it as a an, epi- um, an episodic thing. I think. What the the website that he's, he's no the actual out. the actual animation. Um, I thought it was a film. He was. All right, I thought, I thought it was a. Oh well. Go to go to Paul Kajaji's website and find out. It's the um, www.theprocessdiary.blogspot.com. Um, it's a very good. Uh, we'll put the link on the website as well in case you can. He's got quite a lot of good tutorials on there as well about uh, how to draw uh, certain characters, and mm-hmm. uh, maybe not necessarily ones he's going to use himself, but just as a uh, a kind of learning mechanism. It's very kind of it's very similar as I think you just said, John, to to what we're trying to do with uh, yeah. with with how we're tracking our progress mm-hmm. and stuff. Paul's Paul's been going a little bit longer than us. I think it's a couple of months longer than us, but. Um, yeah. The, dif- the big difference is that Paul is actually professional. He really knows yeah. what he's talking about. We're kind of um, stumbling along and trying to show you the mistakes that we're making along the way, I think. More yeah. so. That Paul's, <laughs> Paul's really showing you how to actually do things. We're showing you what not to do, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but certainly have a, have a look at Paul's website. We are, we are going to start uh, kind of keeping up with Paul's website a lot more than we have been because we only found out about his website a couple of weeks ago because Paul contacted us about ours. Um, yeah. We've been pretty fascinated by it. It's a very good... Uh, very good podcast. Anyway, mm. um, the most—I don't know if it's the most recent one now, but um, was it last week or was it the week before? It was uh, last week's. Last week, uh, Paul interviewed us for that, um, which I think is the most that we've ever spoken about what our plot actually is. Yeah, did we not give an exclusive on there as well? Yeah, yeah. Although we'll probably at some point on this show see what the film's actually about. Um, it's not that we're really trying to keep it secret, guys. It's just that you know we're trying to concentrate on other things just now. <laughs> Yeah, we will get more into what this description the story is about at later points. Um, yeah, so there's that. Um, uh, today, just for a, a while, we're going to talk about uh, some of the problems we've been having. Um, as I say, you know, we're not, we don't know what we're doing, and we're the whole point of our little website is that we're trying to show you the mistakes that we're making as people don't know what we're doing, so that you can, uh, you know, see that. Um, so that you yourself can gauge how hard it would be to make your own film and some of the, the pitfalls to avoid. Uh, now, Scott and I, we have gotten into a bit of a rut recently yeah. um, with the film. And it really, I think it's, I'd say optimistically, it's been, I'd say about a month since really solid work was done on the project. Um, you know, we've, we've been doing these uh, podcasts and things, we've really been enjoying that. But in terms of what actually getting down to film stuff, it has been almost a month, I think, since we really solely got anything done. Um, now, to keep everybody up to date, what we're actually working on just now is the script. Yeah. It's not a long script. It's a short film. Um, and to be quite frank, there's not that much dialogue in our script anyway. So the script is even shorter than you might expect from the average uh, short film of our length, which is somewhere between 20 and 30 minutes, I think. Um now, keeping in mind that we're not coming up with the story, the story was all written out in full as a narrative. Mm. All we're doing is adapting our narrative to screenplay format. So really, this is something that shouldn't have taken a long time. So we want to talk to you today about why we think we're struggling with that and how we're going to try and uh, approach that problem. Mm. Um, now, I think the initial thing to say is that the, the story that we came up with, um, well... I came up with the story, um, and Scott chipped in. Originally what it was is I was reading some philosophy stuff for university, and while doing that, I came up with this funky little idea to do with um, the nature of reality and the nature of existence. 
No, an original idea, I have to say. It was an idea that's been explored by, uh, you know, philosophers the world over, as well as in some other pieces of fiction. So it's not my idea. I just kind of liked it, and I thought I could do something funky with it. So then I kind of sat down, and I think it took me about two months to construct a narrative story around this abstract philosophical idea. Um, and I have to say that I didn't enjoy that. That was very hard going. But the reason I did it is because I knew the payoff would be quite high. I knew that it would end up being a relatively interesting little story. And I knew that it would, it would, even though the basic philosophical idea behind it wasn't original or mine, the story would come across as quite an original feel to it. Um, so I think that took me about two months. I think our short story is about 20 pages or so. Um, now, the problem is that I've, I've always had doubts about it. One, I didn't really enjoy writing it. Um, I think, I mean, Scott was kind of saying that it is well written. I, I kind of say maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But the problem is it's very stressful to read, I think, for the reader. Um, because it is very deep and it's quite demanding of uh, your thought cycles to really get what's going on. Um, Scott and I were talking uh, just uh, yesterday, actually, about um, some uh, authors and uh, directors that we know, uh, particularly the Wachowski brothers and J.K. Rowling. Now, the reason I, I take them out is because whenever we've seen making of stuff about The Matrix, and whenever one of the Wachowski brothers gets asked a question, he gives an answer. And then independently, if they ask the other brother, he gives the same answer. Um, J.K. Rowling is similar in that any time I've ever seen her asked any question at any kind of uh, meeting of... Harry Potter fans. She always knows the exact answer. There's no thinking about it or I'm coming up with this on the spot, guys. It's I know that answer and the answer is. Um, I'd say that's true of a lot of writers. Um, I think probably most so for my mind is uh, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, who really seemed to know the Lord, of the, the Lord of the Rings world in so in depth. Now, the thing is, with our story, I think I kind of know things quite in depth. Um, I think there's only another six, five or six people have actually read my story. Um, Scott being one of them, obviously. Uh, <laughs> now, uh, Scott has read the story and Scott likes the story, likes the way it's read. But um, I don't think, uh, Scott was admitting this to me, so I don't think he know, he doesn't really know it to quite the same depth that I do. In the sense that if we were, say, at some kind of film festival and they asked us about some deeper meaning of some aspect of the story... I could probably answer it, but Scott may not be able to. Um, now, this is just something that we kind of thought was actually quite important for constructing um, every aspect of your movie, really. One thing to point out about script writing or story creation or anything is you shouldn't just put stuff in for the hell of it. That's, that is lazy writing. That is poor writing, and it shouldn't happen. If you're putting stuff into your story for no reason, then it shouldn't be in there. And that doesn't, you can put stuff in there just purely because you think it's cool. Okay, I'd say that's a little bit lazy, but you should you should come up with reasons for things and then put them in. You shouldn't think of an idea, then come up with a reason. You come up with the reason and then put the thing in. Now, um, my 20-page narrative, as convoluted as it might seem to a reader or as demanding as it might seem, I'm fairly certain that everything I've put in there, I had a really solid, justifiable reason. Some of them were actually very complicated and very in-depth, but there was a very solid reason for almost every choice that I made. So the problem is when you come to the script, some of the choices that I've made will not transpose into film. They just they just won't. Um, now again, Scott and I have discussed this before. The reason why we didn't just start out with the screenplay is because we didn't know that format so well. 
we thought it'd be better if we wrote as a narrative first and then converted it over. Um, but the problem that's come along with that is the adaptation process, which means that some stuff we're having to dump completely, some stuff we're having to figure out a new way to show it, some stuff we're having to... We're just having to come up with some whole new stuff that was just never in the narrative to try and get the same points across. Um, finally, and thankfully, we have got to the end of that process. We now know how everything should be transposed, and it's now just a case of writing it out again. But with that comes the same kind of thought process. Every time you have to write something down, you have to justify it in your head. You have to come up with the reason before writing it. It is, it is extremely draining. And I've got to say, I do not really enjoy writing at this kind of level. It's fine writing. I, I enjoy lazy writing, which is the opposite of just writing stuff that comes into your head and writing it because it's cool. That's great. That's really enjoyable. It's stupid and probably nobody wanted to read it, but, you know, it's it's really fun. Writing stuff that you actually want to ha like stand against the test of time and you want to really mean something to people and you want people to be able to analyse it and never really find a hole and never really find a fault. Or at least if they do, it's a subjective thing. That's really hard and that's a real struggle for me. And I don't know if that's because I'm not a good writer or what, but it is a real, real struggle. So because of that, I have certainly lost a certain amount of motivation for writing. Just not writing in general, just writing this. So that was our first big problem, is my lack of motivation, I think. Um, the second thing was, originally, Scott and I were trying to write the script together. and That was kind of uh, difficult to do. Yeah. Um, there was... It's, it's difficult to for two people to write kind of uh, one script and one sort of story. It's, it's more like a constant sort of comparing of ideas and trying to figure out what the best way to put things down is. I mean, it, it's good in terms of um, both of our ideas are kind of amalgamating into one, and I think we're maybe like producing something um, uh, maybe better than than either of us could have come up with. But it's uh, more difficult in terms of um, taking longer to actually put something down on paper. Um, and we kind of began to feel that it was maybe easier if one of us took the lead in that. In this case, it's uh, John's taking the lead um, to kind of uh, write it first. And then I will go over it myself and write a whole bunch of notes and make changes and we can bring it all together and then together discuss through it like that. So we've got more of a, you have it in your head and I, a picture, the bigger picture of the whole thing rather than just uh, um, kind of small segments that might make, kind of make it more difficult. Yeah, and um, I think the other thing as well is that, as I was saying earlier, um, these kind of uh, thought processes about having to really justify everything, I kind of knew them more so than Scott did. Um, so Scott felt... Um, um, Scott, what we, I mean, at one point we decided splitting up the script and Scott would write part of it and I would write part of it and they would kind of collaborate together that way. Uh, and Scott, as, as Scott was saying to it, would, would, felt a little bit uncomfortable about that because he realised that he didn't know the deep meanings behind everything that I put into it and he may end up um, accidentally removing them or making stuff seem less consequential or things like that. Um, so from that point of view, it can be really a struggle to write the way we were trying to write it first and I think the approach that we've taken was better, which was the two of us went through the narrative and tried to come up with how we were going to do the adaptation. Yeah, That was a good way to do it and I, I think you know Scott and I were both uh, happy with that, I think. Weren't we, Scott? That was, yeah, yeah. Uh, that works really well. When it actually comes to sitting down and rating it, though, I think you know I'm going to have to do that. Basically, it's coming back down to me, um, and there's that that brings up the motivation issue. Um, motivation is something that you're gonna you're gonna hit a lot of a lot of times. I think during any kind of project of this scale, um, I've had it in lots of projects I've had in the past: uh, writing projects, uh, music projects, art projects. You will 
usually start projects with a very high level of motivation because that's why you start them in the first place is because you feel, I really want to do that. That's fantastic. And there is always that possibility that down the line, you're going to feel like, ah, this is just so hard. Is it really worth the payoff anymore? I don't know. Even, even in your head, you might think, oh, this is totally worth the payoff. But you just don't want to do it. You're just tired. You don't want to do it. And you're going to hit these kind of barriers. Um, I mean, um, I'm kind of concerned. It, it, it does make it sound like I'm um, just kind of stepping back and sort of just kind of dropping the uh, dropping it all on John here. It's, we have a, had a sort of discussion about it and um, we do feel that this is the best way to go in terms of one of us doing uh, the write-up of the script in the first place. And as John has written the story, um, he's the logical person to do that. Um, and we'll come on in a minute to talk about um, ways in which we're getting over this motivational barrier. But um, I am in total support and I am kind of being as much there for John as I can in this whole process. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to imply that Scott's being lazy. It's me that's being lazy, really. I'm, you know, I'm not really doing things, but... Um, what was this thing about motivation? So the point is, every time you kind of come up to these kind of barriers, you've still got to kind of think to yourself, um, you know, how much do I want it to be done? How much do I want it? And the thing is, I mean, Scott and I have always taken this approach... This isn't a job. If we're not enjoying it, we just immediately stop. But not enjoying it doesn't mean to say that parts of it aren't going to be hard. And ultimately, a lot of that comes down to the payoff. And it's like, well, at the end of it, you know, how, how much am I really going to get out of this movie? How much am I going to in, uh, be proud of myself? How much am I going to like enjoy showing it to people at the end? And that's how you've got to try and get through those hard parts. If you, if you can't get through that, then, you know, fair enough, maybe you've got to kind of think about that and say, well, should I be doing it or not? Scott and I, luckily, are definitely nowhere near that. Although, you know, I'm having some motivation issues, we're still loving being part of this. Absolutely, yeah. We we both know at the end we're going to love having done this. So for us, that's not really an issue. Um, It may become an issue in, you know, the future, but the moment it's definitely not. It's it's a fantastic distraction from the the pains that are a PhD as well. Which is the other issue. Um, Scott and I are full-time PhD students. Um, That takes up a surprisingly large amount of your time, and it is the primary reason beyond my motivation well let's say they're all connected at least i've had a lot of work to do at university just now i um nothing to do with the film project because the film project kind of started after this really but um the first year of my phd hasn't gone super well so i'm now having to work very very hard to um to be allowed to progress um and because of that um, the amount of time i'm allowed to even put into the project has been reduced and because i'm so tired from working so hard at university the tiredness will, of course, affect my motivation for wanting to use that time that I have to do the film. Um, that's not to say that you know you can't overcome things like that. That's that ends up being a, a case of willpower. And at the end of the day, it's kind of like that's something that will be resolved at university, you know, in time anyway. So it's it's, it's these are just issues that will come up. And certainly, you know, if you're working full time, you're going to hit points in your job or whatever that you really feel I don't really have time to do that just now or the little time that I do have to myself I don't want to be working on some other project that's fair enough obviously you know I mean, we're not here to justify uh, or alleviate your guilt about not working it's up to you guys it's, it's a fun project if you don't want to do it don't do it if yeah, you want to you know, if you want to do it next month do it next month I mean, it's, not, it's not a job that's, I think that's the important thing to know about this kind of stuff if you're hitting motivational blocks think about why you're hitting them assess them if they're so bad that you need to stop, stop. If they're just, I'm just going to do that just now. Don't do it just now. You know, it's trying to think of it as a job. I think is all they're really kind of coming down to. Um, but then back to how we are planning on solving these issues. Um, 
Well, I think Scott can kind of take over for that for a bit. I'm just going to drink here. Um, so we, we've kind of discussed about um, having motivational problems and stuff. Um, we're we're both kind of in that in that boat to an extent because it's it's difficult when you don't start to make progress um, right away. And uh, keeping in mind this is a really big project, it's going to be difficult to make progress kind of right off the bat. And you do need to stick with it. So some of the things that we've uh, we've come up with um, are most of our time that we donate to this uh, is coming on a Saturday, based because of our PhD commitments. And at the moment, um, John's been working on well, as much as possible on the script side of things, as he's been saying. And um, I've been fi- trying to find where I can best fit in to both help him whilst allowing him to do what he needs to do and also trying to be productive at the same time. So I've been trying to do various things, including trying to um, map out podcasts and uh, find information for us to like speak about and then find new information to um, that would be helpful for the film. Um, I think what's going to start to happen now is that whilst John works on the script on the Saturday, um, I'm going to be um, around... Um, whilst he's doing that for kind of creative feedback and for him to bounce ideas off of before I I kind of dive into it myself and have a good kind of read through and and, uh, make additions etc and whilst he's doing that I'm going to be spending my time working on uh, Blender uh, trying to learn as much as I can about the processes behind that because that's something that will need to be done eventually anyway and doing this will allow us both to be productive and to contribute to the film both now and further on down the line and will allow us to make some real progress which in turn will hopefully allow us to become more uh, feel better about what we're doing and actually feel like we're achieving progress um yeah so that's kind of the i think there's, there's actually there's one other issue that i would just like to point out which is um it's nice in a way and it's it's one of those things that you should maybe think about if you're going to do the process the way we're doing it Scott and I are pretty much best friends, um, so when we get together on a Saturday, we were getting into this really bad routine of just, you know, hanging out. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was like, uh, Scott usually comes to my house at uh, 10 o'clock on a Saturday, and then it's, it's for at least the last few Saturdays, it's been like, yeah, so we just, we just talk about, not about the film, <laughs> we, just, <laughs> we just talk for like, you know, a couple of hours. Or play some computer games or, or play computer games or do something that's so not related. Um, and then we go and get food. And then we come back, and then we usually get like a couple of hours work done, and then record a podcast. Yes, yeah, this is this is why the content of the podcast has been so so weak. Yeah, it's because we're really not doing enough. But um, so again, that's that's an issue. If you're going to be working with your friends, you're going to kind of start to address. Okay, well, we really need to get to work now. And it's not like Scott and I don't see each other. We see each other pretty much every day. So really, we should we shouldn't be maybe doing that so much. But um, but anyway, I think that's um. That's pretty much all we really wanted to say about motivation. It's, it's just one of those things, you're going to hit it. Um, I, Scott and I are trying to deal with it um, the best we can, which we're trying to, you know, you have to, don't ignore the problem, obviously. Approach it. Whether or not approaching it means giving up the project entirely, putting it off for a little while, or just coming up with a solution then and there, you still have to approach it. Ignoring it is not going to help anyone, basically. So um, hopefully that will work out for us. Uh, we'll let you know next Saturday, I suppose. Um, so yeah, but I think um, in talking about all this stuff about the problems we've been having with the adaptation, um, we were going to talk about one scene from the film um, that caused an awful lot of discussion a couple of weeks ago about mm. how we would actually adapt that. Yeah. So I'll, I'll set the scene for you. Um, the What was written in the, the narrative version was that the main character, who's called Martin, would be walking up a hill and at the top of the hill would be a, a kind of uh, a, a clearing of a, of a kind of a grassy field, and there'd be nothing there. 
and then um, a castle would appear out of nowhere, just like just like that. Um, sounds simple enough on paper. It's always really easy to write that kind of thing on paper because it costs you nothing. Uh, one of the, one of the benefits of the narrative forum is that you know. Uh, extravagant things like that don't really cost any more than it would to say that, you know, you fell over, you know, really. <laughs> um, coming to it from the film point of view is a big problem. So mm. um, this is, the, the first thing we had to look at was, can we just cut that out? Mm. And sadly we can't. It doesn't make any sense if we cut it out and it's a rather important point of our story. So that's to go. So then we had to say, well, how are we going to make this castle appear? Um, now, basically... In, in layman's terms, there are two basic ways to make something appear that wasn't there before. Um, this is maybe oversimplifying, but this is the ways that we know about anyway. The first way is that the castle is actually always there, and then in post-production, you remove the castle by, you know, painting over it, basically. The second solution is the castle is never there during principal photography, and then in post, you add the castle in by painting it on. So those are the two basic ways that you make things appear. Um, obviously, when we talk about this, we mean it in digital sense. We wouldn't mm. actually literally paint on film or beyond that. No, uh, Insert images, etc. Yes, you know, <laughs> we'd be using Blender and things to model a castle or something like that. Um, now, the problem with that is that although that's a fine solution to the problem, the uh, one of the reasons that I wrote the castle into the screenplay is because I live next to a castle. <laughs> Um, as everyone in Scotland does. As everybody in Scotland does. You never live more than 50 yards from a castle in Scotland, obviously. Um, so, yeah, so there's a castle near us that we're planning on using. I'm not sure if we're actually allowed to use it, but we are going to, we're planning on using it. Um, and that was the reason it was written into the screenplay. And it's now a very important part of the screenplay and we can't get rid of it. Now, because that's where we're filming it, um, obviously the castle will always be there. So the solution then becomes, well, you'd have to remove the castle somehow. Now, we've looked into that. And frankly, we can't find a, in inverted quotes, clever way of doing that. The only ways that we can seem to find to do it is basically you go through each frame by hand and through image manipulation and editing, you remove the castle. That sounds like, okay, I guess that's then just that's a skill thing that comes down to artistic skill, but it could be done. That's true. But the problem is that even though that, that is the case... One, Scott and I are not, you know, unbelievably skilled yet. We hope to be by the end of this project. But, you know, for us to do that well would take us a long time. Mm. And you're talking about filming at, I think we're going to be filming at 25 frames per second. That shot is going to be at least, I don't know, seven seconds long. So, you know, you're already talking about into the hundreds of frames. And um, each frame would probably take Scott and I, I don't know, a day <laughs> to do well. It would probably get faster as we kind of got into it. But uh, I dare say, but the, the point is that, that that what really should be a very simple part of a simple short, at least we, we, we never thought of it as being a complex shot, mm. suddenly is going to take a long, long time to do because mm. especially if we were only working on Saturdays, really, you know. So then you've got hundreds of shots. It's going to take a day to do each one. That's hundreds of Saturdays. There only are 52 Saturdays a year. All of a sudden, that one shot is going to take us a couple of years to do. Now, I know we're maybe kind of oversimplifying that, but <laughs> that was basically our thought process. And we went, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, the, um, although there are some shots that are kind of complicated special effects shots, something that actually sounds simple like that was actually going to like 
potentially kill our whole project. So we have to try and come up with something a bit more clever. So um, we're using a technique that's actually very well known, but hadn't occurred to us at first, um, which is... What's it actually called again? Um, what is the technical name for that? Where, where you have, like, you move past, say, a tree, for example, and then yeah. it... Let's, let's call it cross matting because I think that's a nice name. <laughs> um, please write in if you know the correct name. Please write if you know the real name. Um, <laughs> uh, the technique, which um, the reason actually it came to my mind again is because we've been watching uh, some films that we're taking a lot of inspiration from just now, which are Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and Cashback. Mm. Um, you probably have heard of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. You may not have heard of Cashback. It's a Sean Ellis film. It is definitely worth seeing. It's an amazing film, and it was shot for almost nothing. Um, I think probably because of that, we're taking a lot of inspiration from it. It's a really amazing film. Go out and see Cashback. Mm. Uh, in any case, um, Cashback uses this uh, technique a lot, and it's really very simple, and it's, it works very well if you do it well. The basic idea is you have something in frame, and you have it in two different shots. So if you can imagine, for instance, the, the, the one that we are using is going to be a tree, I, I think. So there's going to be a shot where Martin goes in front of a tree, the camera pans to follow and go in front of the tree. And then he comes around and goes behind the tree, and the camera pans to show him going behind the tree and coming out on the other side of the tree. Uh, was that explained clearly enough? I think that was... I think so, yeah. Okay. So basically he's, going, he's walking around a tree, and we pan to show him going right then left. Um, now what you do um, I'm, not, I mean, I'm not saying this is all that easy and a lot of it comes down to skill but you then do another shot where it's the same thing um, but the difference is that in the ending of the first shot there's a field and in the ending of the second shot there's a castle it basically involves finding you know some similar element that you can use in both frames now, Cashback, they did this at one point with a fridge, which was very cleverly done. Um, the, the camera pans, there was a fridge in one shot, and then in the other shot, there was another fridge. And then at one of the edges of the fridge, they just joined both those frames together in the pan, so that when the camera's panning, it's actually panning from one set of film to another set. But because it has this sort of... There's one point in the, in the, in the shot where it's a fairly good point to have a seamless join... It seems like you're panning from the outside to the indoors in some sort of mystical, impossible way. And it's actually quite a cheap shot to do if you can pull it off. So we're going to do the same thing with, with the, this castle shot, which the idea is that when he comes up, he's going to, we're going to see clearly that he's walking somewhere where there is no castle. We're going to pan away from that, see him go behind a tree, and then pan out again and see there's a castle there. Um, now I think when we describe it that way, it must sound like quite a kind of simple thing to do, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it certainly uh, stopped me panicking quite as much. Yeah, and you know, again, it's just the problem is that, that that's a very technical thing, but this actually came out of the script process because we were really trying to think about it in depth about, you know, when you write something in a script, you've really got to think about, especially as amateurs, you've really got to think about how are we actually going to shoot this stuff? Because if you're starting to write stuff like, you know, the aliens take over the earth, you know, <laughs> you can't write stuff like that and then kind of think later on when you get to like, so how are we actually going to film that the aliens take over the earth? That's like... <laughs> Several million dollar effect shot, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, that's that's the, the kind of problems that we've been coming up, and I think it took us it took us about five hours to come up with that solution, actually, because we were talking through the pros and cons of all the other ones first. Yeah. Um, and it, I've got to be honest that the what we call it crossover matting that didn't that didn't occur to us <laughs> until quite late on. It's like oh, we could just do it this way. Now, what we will say is that um, 
we're not sure that that particular shot is going to be quite as impressive as maybe one of the other ones would have been because you could have had some kind of glow effect or, I don't know, some kind of nice little shimmer kind of thing of a castle appearing. The problem with that is that one could have come off really cheesy or it could have come off really well. Our shot, we kind of know how it's going to come off because it's it's sort of independent of any special effects, really. Um, it's just to do with kind of clever editing. It might not be that fancy, though, and it might be a wee bit kind of, mm, yeah, I kind of know how that was done. That, again, is not really an issue to us because it's the only way we can do it. It prevents us from having to completely shut down production at the end of the day. Hmm. So um, that just gives you an example of the kind of stuff we've been doing. There's been a lot of that kind of thing going on, and that's why it's taken us such a long time just to talk through how we would, write, how we would even approach the script. Um, I think as the script stands, we've done about a third of it, I think. Okay. Um, but because we've now actually solved most of these problems, which was really what was taking a lot of the time, hopefully the actual writing of it shouldn't take that long. However, as I said again, it will take long for me because I really try and think through things in a lot of depth and you know try and reason everything out before I write it down so that it isn't just writing it down for the sake of writing it down. That incidentally should speed things up when it comes down to uh, my part of uh, going back through it and then adding my own thoughts and feelings right, on it. Yeah because it's going to be so um, laid out already. So th- this initial um, rut to get through should hopefully speed everything else up. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, that, that has a knock-on effect when you actually get to filming as well, because you kind of, and storyboarding, where you kind of start to know, you know, how you're going to start to approach things. I think the big thing we found with this is, like with any big project you're going to undertake, there is always this design stage. Um, and if you really think through the design stage, the design stage might take a long time but it will make everything else go a lot smoother and a lot quicker. Mm. Uh, and it's, sometimes it's a case of whether or not you want to do that trade-off, but I was going to say, I think with a project of this scale, you really have to actually think through how it's all going to pan out. You don't kind of want to get down the line and realise you don't have some important piece of equipment or piece of software that you just didn't think you'd need. And Although we're not saying we're not going to hit that. In fact, I think we're pre- fairly certain we are going to hit that, to be honest, because we don't know <laughs> enough about what we're doing, but... Um, I think especially because we don't know what we're doing, we've had to really sit down and try and think, okay, how do you actually make a film? And um, that's something that I think, as amateurs, you should be thinking about at almost every stage of the production, about everything that you do, everything you decide you're going to do. You should always ask the same question, how would this actually fit into the film? And how am I actually going to do this as an amateur with no money? And uh, I think that's the message we're really trying to leave you today is you're going to hit problems. We've hit problems. Um, you want to try and justify everything you do in uh, your story because that will that's really what's going to make your film have a longevity to it. Hmm. And lastly, planning is, is a big stage. And although it's definitely taken us longer than we expected and we are in a bit of a rut just now, we're approaching those problems, we're trying to solve those problems and we think in the long run it will make the rest of the, the film easier. So I think that's going to be it today. We're, there's going to be um, the, the we're going to probably release two podcasts today, but the other podcast is going to be our interview from Paul's show. Mm. Um, if you like that, please start listening to Paul's show. Paul's show is really worth listening to. It's a very good podcast. Yes, it is. Um, hopefully, we'll get um, Paul on our podcast at some point with an interview. Um, he's a very uh, very entertaining guy. But, uh, <laughs> very worth the interviewing, I think. But um, I think that's really that's it for today. You got anything else to say, Scott? No, I think uh, that's everything pretty much covered. Other than um, uh, I think I have to apologise for the uh, news update for the last podcast is incorrect as to uh, the content for part of it. So I'll need to put another update on there. Um, but yeah, cool. Uh, so uh, I'm John Ferguson, and I'm Scott Heron, 
and you've been listening to Fictionality, and we'll see you again at fictionality.co.uk. Bye-bye.